Hello and welcome to The Long Short, a new podcast brought to you by AMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, focusing on the very latest insights on hedge funds and private credit. My name is Tom Kehoe and I'm the Global Head of Research and Communications at AMA. AMA is the global representative of the alternative investment industry with around 2,000 corporate members spread across 60 countries. Of these, our fund manager members account for approximately 2 trillion in hedge fund and private credit assets. Each bi-weekly episode of The Long Short will examine topical areas of interest from across the alternative investment universe with news, views and analysis delivered by AMA's global team, as well as a host of industry experts. So whether you are a hedge fund or private credit industry veteran, a student of the industry, or just someone interested in learning more about hedge funds and private credit, this podcast will be your ideal companion to help navigate you through the long and short of this fascinating industry. Welcome to episode nine of The Long Short. And it's great to have Jack Ingalls, Amos CEO, back to speak with us. Jack, thank you very much for your time today. Hey, Tom. So, Jack, we're almost at the end of this year. And in time on our tradition, it's a time to reflect over the past year. And in, in your preview last year, you suggested that hedge funds were likely to experience a renaissance. Uh, and this has certainly come to pass with market commentators pointing to inflows into hedge funds this year. Why do you think we've seen uh, such a continued strong level of interest in hedge funds? Yeah, I remember that um, the end of last year, going on record and saying I was very optimistic um, for 2021 and uh, expecting inflows um, into the industry. And indeed, that has come to pass. We've seen um, some quite strong inflows. Um, uh, there are varied numbers out there, but um, uh, I think we can generally say that uh, it's been very positive for new investor interest uh, into hedge funds uh, and i was and i was positive at the end of last year because um i really felt that the what hedge funds had delivered in 2020 had been noticed investors uh, and with uncertainty still going on in covid and uncertainty going on in the future direction of interest rates and in markets uh, I felt investors had no alternative but to to continue to look at alternatives um, versus their more traditional investments. And um, we've certainly seen that being the case. And when we speak to investors, um, particularly as it's, as it's, as is marked by um, the various uh, uh, sort of investor intention surveys we do, we see that continuing at the moment. Um, uh, that uncertainty with uh, traditional format or, or, or traditional portfolios of 6040 uh, are really driving investors into alternatives for seeking both diversity and actually the returns that, them, uh, that they think are possible right across the alternative spectrum. Yeah, we've seen the industry eclipse and and, and actually uh, break the four trillion barrier, the hedge fund industry that is, and um, growth in alternative investments also continues to be very strong. Um, and, and that investor intentions report that you mentioned, the next one of these coming out uh, in early January, which will point to um, the next six months and intentions from investors in terms of how they allocate the hedge funds. So that's something uh, to look out for um, from the listeners and, and those yeah, of you who I, are familiar with and, and, and you know, where we are, we're now December. I think we can recognize that uh, the month of November was was really quite challenging for many, many strategies out there in the hedge fund world. And we haven't got the full numbers in yet. But looking at the year as a whole, I think we're going to see very respectable um, uh, performances coming across 
across the hedge fund industry, uh, across many of the strategies. Um, and then I would expect that actually once a year is done, investors will reflect back and think, yeah, they have met, met our expectations. And perhaps in certain cases, certain strategies and certain managers will certainly have outperformed their, their, uh, their expectations. So I, I believe um, that kind of positive view that I had this time last year is still very valid uh, a year on. Okay, so continue to be bullish. Um, then just in terms of looking at some of um, AIMA's research uh, published over the past year, and indeed headlines from other leading commentators on the industry, it's pointing to lines becoming increasingly blurred between hedge funds and actors operating in private markets. And we're seeing that leading to continued growth in sectors like private credit, for example. You know, What do you see as the factors driving this interest? Uh, there's definitely a trend in, in place here, and that's certainly happening uh, amongst um, uh, some of the bigger managers. Uh, their involvement in private markets uh, is really getting quite marked now, and, and certainly a number of the reports and, and studies that I've seen uh, do uh, observe quite a considerable increase um, being reported of, of activity by hedge funds, who, let's face it, have been historically known for their activities in the public markets. Um, going into the private markets. I think we see that most uh, keenly in private credit, and that's been very intact now for a number of years. Um, and, um, and and more recently, we're seeing that in private equity, particularly in that sort of crossover space, not necessarily at, at the venture capital um, uh, uh, sort of startup level, but certainly pre-IPO level, pre-IPO funding that's coming from hedge funds. Uh, and some of the money being put uh, into those things are, are very um, substantial indeed. And I think what's also key uh, to say at this point is our investors, you know, to ask the question, are investors comfortable um, uh, with that or is that um, going against mandate? Well, most of these mandates allow some investments in private uh, anyway. Uh, and certainly one survey that I saw of investors uh, showed a very high degree of comfort of hedge funds doing this. Now, why is um, uh, why do they feel they're able to do that? Well, um, you know, the distinctions between public markets and private markets are not so dramatic that um, uh, that you wouldn't expect um, uh, certain capabilities and expertise and skill set being carried from one uh, to the other. And analyzing companies, um, whether it be from an equity perspective or a credit perspective, uh, is a discipline that, that, that cuts across both public and private markets. I think an added thing is um, over the years, and just in the US, for example, we've actually seen a marked decline in the number of companies actually quoted on public stock exchanges as um, uh, as certain companies are taken private. Uh, and I think um, uh, the opportunity set, as we've seen from pure dedicated private equity funds delivering strong performances in recent years, uh, is very appealing and very appealing to, um, to hedge funds who feel that they can uh, use their expertise to also source some of those opportunities. So it may get more competitive in that space, um, but nevertheless, some of the returns there are a big motivator um, for uh, for hedge funds to expand into that uh, that field. And and Jack, just looking at you know, other areas of interest um, across the alternative space and just emerging strategies as well. In your preview last year, you spoke about a growing level of interest being seen in digital assets, and, and certainly this year, you know, we we, we read about. You know, significant uh, involvement 
you know, in the area, new research published by Eamon next week highlights digital assets being the second most popular investment strategy, you know, second only to hybrid hedge and B products, which you've just alluded to, you know, over the coming 12 months. What's your take on this area? You know, is it becoming more mainstream, digital assets, that is? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at actually the, the, the daily trading volumes in digital assets, it's still very much um, REIT-driven. But um, the volumes that are going through, uh, the, um, uh, the developments that are happening right across the digital asset space are, are, are such that they just can't be ignored by, uh, uh, by hedge funds who uh, are looking for new opportunities and, uh, and, and if we can call it an asset class, new asset classes to get involved in. Um, and and you, you talked there about a, um, a study of research piece that we brought out PwC this this uh, this year, which looked at uh, investing in digital assets, and we found that um, of the respondents, uh, the hedge fund respondents that we asked the question of, uh, a fifth of them admitted to having some involvement in digital assets. Now it's still quite small um, of those that did respond. Yes, uh, it's really only a small part of their portfolios. Um, uh, about three percent on average of their AUM, so it's still very small, but it could well turn out to be in a pivotal year whereby um, there is uh, there is developed a lot more confidence of this being something that people want to invest in, not just um, for a space of a couple of months, but to actually look at the opportunities um uh in the future for investing in digital assets so um, we we've constructed a, um, a work stream around that and actually what's interesting we created a digital assets working group uh, earlier on this year and uh its attendance rate its level of interest is um uh is very keen indeed at the moment there's a lot of people wanting to learn a, more, a lot more of what's going on in this space there's some challenges to overcome uh, let's not deny it we've got uh, regulatory certainty as to how all that will unfold uh, around digital assets we've got um still a lack of clarity of of what uh what constitutes good custody uh, in digital assets so quite a lot of things still need to happen um uh for for uh you know to be a mass uptake in this one but this, the the signs are this year are very positive this is moving forward uh, and so it's something we're going to continue to be involved in ourselves and that concludes part one of our interview with amos ceo jack ingles in the second part of today's podcast jack will offer his year in review at ama as well as looking ahead to the next 12 months and what are the key priorities for AMA in 2022. But for now, we go for a brief interlude. AMA and the ACC are pleased to announce the Private Credit Investor Forum, which will be taking place in person on January the 24th, 2022 in Miami. As the sole membership association representing the global private credit market, we are delighted to be hosting the only dedicated private credit conference in partnership with iConnections during the annual Alternative Investment Week in Florida. LPs, GPs and industry specialists from around the globe will come together to discuss the key trends shaping allocator sentiment and the evolution of asset class. The day will include expanded networking opportunities alongside our premium content. Discussions will include comparability and standardization in private credit, trends in product design, ESG in private markets and getting the allocator's perspective on whether private credit is an asset class. 
join us to share in the discussion, resume relationship building and make good on those long overdue reunion plans. Welcome back to part two of The Long Short. And I'm speaking to Amos CEO, Jack Ingalls. So we just put down our pencils writing Amos review of the year. Uh, so Jack, what have been Amos highlights of the year just gone? Well, first of all, Tom, I have to thank you uh, and your team for um, uh, really um, bringing all the review of the year together and, and writing so much of it. It's always a good exercise just to look back and think what actually has happened. And I, I'm very pleased with the progress that AMA has made. Um, uh, purely at the association level, uh, we continue to grow. Um, uh, we've been growing in members. I think we've now got um, somewhere around 2,100 uh, corporate members um, uh, across well over 60 countries now. Uh, so that's been good, uh, growth in membership. But, you know, that's not really the key focus for us, is can we can we continue to grow our output, uh, our degree of help and value to our members? And um, I, I'm particularly pleased with how we've been able to uh, go about that, albeit in a, in, in a still very challenging year um, that COVID has seen large parts of us still doing this remotely from our from our homes. But as I look at what we've been able to achieve and I look how exhausted our staff is, are as, um, as, as we get to the end of the year, I know they've been working very hard uh, on many of the issues that we face. Uh, for me, some of the key highlights, I mean, it's always nice to celebrate an anniversary and um, we celebrate uh, uh, this this year. Uh, our 20th year um, in Australia, uh, and we've got an Australian forum going on uh, later on this week, or the week that I'm speaking to you uh, at the moment. Um, I'm, I'm very pleased with the way that we've we've embraced uh, sort of video technology a little bit, and was really pleased with the uh, program that we did with ITN Productions, which resulted in um, a, a full-length program. Uh, which hopefully has shed a lot of light on what's going on in the alternatives industry for those perhaps who are a little less familiar with it than we are, uh, and that was called Holding Strong. Um, so those are some of the things that I've been very pleased with. Um, uh, you know, we've had to operate in a, in a, in a virtual world. Nevertheless, uh, we're still reaching out and getting the reach and uh, uh, that we want to. We've had, uh, I think all told, 240 events, uh, almost every single one of them, uh, being on screen, but what ha that has enabled us to get to is a very large number of attendees, and I, and I think we've added up the number of attendees at, uh, at those events this year, and uh, it is over 19,000. So that has to be pleasing because um, uh, what we want to do is, is bring all the content, uh, our output, our education, our learning, um, and and uh, opinions of our members to fellow members through these forums. Um, and I think we've done that very successfully this year. Yes, and, and that year in review that you mentioned is available on our website um, for members and, and for any, anyone who is interested in AMA's work. You can find that on our website at AMA.org. Um, Jack, looking ahead to next year, there are several key developments in the regulatory calendar you know, for AMA members and the broader alternative investment industry to look out for. You know, so what should asset manager members be aware of? Well, I'm sure asset managers would rather hope to be approaching a year of where there was going to be very uh, limited um, change 
comes to regulations which they have learned to comply with. But um, uh, we all know by now that's never the case. And certainly the, uh, the team focused on this at AMA um, is as busy and expects to be as busy next year um, as it always has been. Um, where are some of those key issues? Just really at the very high level. Uh, in the US, um, having had a relatively benign agenda under the Trump administration, um, the uh, uh, regulators and, uh, and legislators there have got quite a lot of stuff that they uh, that they are looking at. Um, and in no particular order, they are um, short selling uh, and related disclosures. Part of that um, prompted perhaps by uh, what went on earlier on in the year with GameStop and, and, and other so-called meme stocks. Uh, we've got um, everywhere in the world, we've got um, uh, questions of financial stability uh, and measures required to um, uh, to improve that, particularly when it comes to uh, fund leverage and liquidity. That seems to have been going on for quite some time, but a number of instances uh, over the past 18 months have made that something that is, uh, is very much being focused on. Uh, market infrastructure in the U.S., uh, again, around the um, uh, Robin Hood and GameStop um, uh, scenario earlier in the year is something to look out for. Uh, we've already talked about digital assets. Regulation around digital assets is very uh, um, unformed, relatively unformed at the moment, and uh, you can expect uh, the SEC and others to um, be looking at that quite closely. So there's a, already... Uh, a pretty full agenda of stuff there just in the US um, that we could talk about. But uh, the world doesn't end there. Uh, in Europe here at the um, end of 2021, we've had new proposals out um, uh, following a review of the AIFMD um, directive. Uh, and um, while uh, there is not sort of wholesale change there, there are some things that are going to need uh, some attention by us and, and therefore by our managers um, as, uh, as changes uh, come into play there. Uh, and then let's not forget the UK. We're no longer part of the EU at the moment, and the, um, uh, the evolving regulatory regime as it departs from the EU uh, is uh, is something that is going um, uh, that um, that managers who are impacted by that are going to have to be uh, well aware of how that, um, uh, that that makes change for them. So, just at the high level, I think it gives you a sense of um, uh, the areas we are looking at. And um, uh, and lastly, uh, you know, no comment um, uh, is is complete without some mention of ESG and uh, and sustainable investing. And uh, what started off in the EU is uh, spread further afield now. Um, uh, the SEC have uh, have measures in place there. We've seen it out in in uh, in, in the Asia Pacific region, specifically with Hong Kong, but that's not exclusively there. Um, so various regulators around the world bringing in more disclosure around sustainable investing, about ESG risk factors. Uh, and um, the challenge will there for managers will be how to uh, absorb all this, um, uh, where it really could look like a very fragmented uh, approach. Um, certainly, of reporting that uh, that results from this. Uh, so, aim at the hand very much to to try and uh, steer our members um, through this particular maze. Yeah, very busy period ahead um, for the industry. Um, and then, Jack. Um, Taking uh, regulatory issues aside, um, what are the other key priorities, you know, for AIM and for the team 
know, over the coming 12 months. So key priorities um, uh, for us are to continue, uh, continue doing what we do, but continue um, to, um, uh, to, 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 to grow in the United States. The United States is still uh, the largest um, uh, country for hedge funds of anywhere in the world and by quite a margin. Uh, and we've been present there for quite some time, um, but we have added to our resources there. We've, uh, we've added people. Uh, we're making investments there, and we've been growing our membership there very significantly, not just this year, but in in, in recent years. And um, so, a little bit um, uh, sort of investing to play catch up, so that we've got the right service level for those members who've entrusted their uh, uh, their, their membership dollars with us. Uh, but we think there's still a, a huge opportunity where there are um, uh, many many managers out in the U.S. who have got no representation. Uh, at all, and we think that's um, uh, 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 that, uh, that that's um, something that can be changed. And we think we've got a very interesting proposition um, for managers to really get involved with us and benefit from what we can offer them. Um, in the US, obviously, we're more established in in some other parts of the world, uh, but that's not to say we're new in the US. But that that that's that's a, a big priority, as um, uh, as uh, identified by our board and as identified by myself. Um, and another one, Tom, as you know well, and it's almost a sort of a pet um, uh, subject for me is is what more can AIMA be doing um, uh, that really provides greater insights into investor thinking, uh, investor intelligence that can be imparted back to our manager members. Uh, now, for quite a while now, we've had very good participation from uh, beneficial owners and allocators uh, in AIMA's work. And we've just kind of strengthened that this year by creation of a, glo- a formal global investor board, uh, which I'm extremely pleased um, that we've been able to achieve. Uh, and that really, I think, in 2022 uh, is, is going to help us um, have discussions, provide connectivity uh, and, and, and with investors and, and get really um, good thoughts out. Because what is key, I think, for managers going forward is they really understand what investors are, are wanting, whether that be ESG. What do they really mean when they ask questions in the due diligence questionnaire um, about ESG? What, are, what, what objectives are they trying to meet? Where do alternatives into the overall construction of the um, of the portfolio. I think if we can have that kind of neutral discussion going on, that it can be very helpful on all sides. Um, so I'm very excited about bringing that um, to complete fruition next year. Yes, indeed. And and you know you've touched on the fact that we've had 240 plus events, um, likely to be closer to 250 at the end of this year. And so, notwithstanding the new variants that are out there. You know, I know that AMA has plans um, for events next year in person, starting with a cri- private credit forum in Miami in January. So is is the sense then within AMA and amongst the team to do more of these in-person events over the coming 12 months and to get out and meet with its members and, and to engage with the broader alternative investment industry, you know, at in-person events, you know, and, and, and meeting with people in person where we can. Gosh, I think we're, we're we're all extremely eager to get back out there and um, and have in person events. Um, while one can deliver content um, extremely efficiently uh, across uh, across Zoom and uh, and other um, uh, video uh, platforms, 
what um, people have really been missing is that human interaction. Um, that might just happen at the um, at the coffee breaks um, in between sessions in person events, but. Uh, meeting with other people, meeting new people, um, sharing ideas informally. This is, I think, what people want and what they get out of in-person events. So in as much as it is possible, God willing, um, we will be reverting back to in-person events um, uh, where we feel it's safe to do so and where we think there's an appetite to do it. That's not give... Um, uh, all the video um, uh, mediums that we've um, grown used to over these past two years uh, any disservice at all. Uh, we think they will continue to be very useful um, for the, the staging of webinars, shorter-based events. But beginning the larger conferences, forums that we've historically put on, I, for one, can't wait to get out there again and uh, and meet with our members and uh, and have those sort of conversations where we learn so much from um, just interacting in person with other people. Oh, well, that's good. That's a positive way to, to end our conversation. Jack, thanks as always for, for taking the time to speak to us under Long Short. We wish you a good holiday season and look forward to having you again back on the Long Short in the new year. Tom, thank you very much and thanks for all your work. <laughs> And that's all we have from the Long Short team this year. We do hope that you found our podcast useful. And we will return on the 12th of January with a special episode dedicated to the topic of hedge funds and short selling. And that all that's left for me now to say is happy holidays to you wherever you are. I'm wishing you a happy, healthy and successful 2022. And the Long Short was brought to you by AMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, the global representative of the alternative investment industry. New episodes of the Long Short will be out every other Wednesday and available on the AMA website, as well as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. So if you like what you hear, please spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.